0: So I want to look at this first, and I think that to some degree, the side you will naturally gravitate towards depends on how you became a Christian to begin with. Now, this isn't necessarily true, but I think predominantly this is why. Uh, How did you come to the Lord? For a lot of people, the way you came to the Lord was through some experience that you had. Now, that might have been, you know, you're down and out on your luck, and you're crying out to God in the moment of, you know, mercy and help me help me help me and he answered that it could be that it could be the other side of it you may have gone to some amazing event you know that that was just like the spirit was moving and it was just this huge event for you and you know you gave your life to the lord that day you know it could have been a lot of different things but there's some event that happened in your life that you can point to and it was an emotional slash spiritual experience for you some people have had that some people look at me like I'm nuts they have no idea what I'm talking about and I get it because there are people who've never had that experience uh, and so for me you would think I did because if you ask me when I became a Christian the the official answer is I became a Christian the day this picture was taken I didn't take it um, this guy named Billy Graham came to this place some of you remember called Forbes Field it was in Oakland where the pirates used to play now Billy Graham was a phenomenon. This is in the 60s. He was a phenomenon at the time, and you know he was a huge influence in the, in the Christian church. And I don't think his influence could even fully be measured, you know, for better or for worse. But but his influence is un, undeniable. He was he was an amazing phenomenon because he would go and preach, and people would show up. And this is Forbes Field. He's walking out of the dugout there at Forbes Field in this picture. Uh, to approach the crowd. The crowd was packed. I was there. It was packed. It was like three nights. I may not be there this night, but it was one of the three nights he was here. And and it was just filled with people, and he would preach. And he would always preach the same basic message. It was different, of course, a little bit here and there, but you always knew Billy Graham was going to bring a, a gospel message for conversion. He was going to be a salvation message. That's what he preached all the time. At the end of his service, he always had an altar call. I mean... If Billy Graham didn't invent the altar calls, he surely, you know, f- perfected them. And and everybody knew, because part of the phenomenon was people came forward in Billy Graham's altar calls. And um, so I'm there. I'm probably about third grade, I think, at the time. And I'm sitting there with my family. Now, my whole family's there. My dad's a preacher. My mom, you know, my, my two older brothers, and like my younger brother was with somebody because he would have been too young. But we were sitting there, and, and it was really something. Because it wasn't just Billy Graham preaching. He has singers and stuff. It was really church on another level, you know, now mega churches do this every week, but this was, you know, you never saw anything like this uh, before. And uh, so, you know, he gave his thing. And when he calls, you know, people to come forward, you know, except the Lord, you know, they, they play just as I am. It was always playing in the background and, you know, come, you come. I'll never forget the sound because you know, those days, they really had those really tight springs in those seats in the stadium, you know, and when you got up out of it fast, you went boom, 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 you know, and the sound of a thousand boom thump, pom thump, thumps going, I'll never forget. It was everywhere because the people just stood up by the hundreds and thousands just started walking down. And I turned to my mom and I said, I want to go. All right, so here, here I want to paint the picture. Here's my, my mom, a pastor's wife. You know, my dad, the pastor there. We're a Christian family, but I haven't made a commitment to the Lord yet. And so here's her little, you know, third grade son saying, Mommy, Mommy, I want to go give my heart to Jesus. You know, so you can imagine what the pastor's wife heart does at that time well, my mom tried to talk me out of it. She goes, oh, honey, you know, no, no, you no, don't, you don't need to do this. You know? um, your dad's a pastor, you can do this anytime. You do not need to go forward right now. And I'm thinking, what kind of a mom tried to talk their son out of you know, giving a life to the Lord? And, but she was, and, and it's funny, because I remember that more than anything else of that night, you know, my mom tried to talk me out of going forward, but I stood my ground, and my dad said, let the kid go. But it isn't, you know, you don't let a third grader walk up there like by himself, the whole family had to go. And, and I always thought that was so weird until I became a parent and had a park in Oakland. I mean, I get it now. I understand. Like, come on, they're all up there. Let's go get out of here now before the traffic, you know. I understand. You can go. We'll pray for you at home. It's okay. Um, but that was my experience. So I went forward. I, you know, did my little prayer, and they, I filled out my little paperwork with them, and my mom had to help me, and then I, you know, basically forgot about it. I mean, it really wasn't a huge—it should have been this great moment in my life, but I'll be honest with you, I woke up the next day, and— other the fact that i got a birthday card and a christmas card from billy graham that year uh my life didn't change a whole lot you know uh so but some people have had these experiences they'll tell you that after they get saved man the next day the birds are singing better the air is sweeter and the sunshine's brighter you know just everything's changing i'm not trying to mock it i'm telling you guys if you had that experience i'm a little envious because i didn't i kind of grew on the other side that we'll get to in a couple of weeks But uh, if you had that experience and and those people who didn't kind of give them their grace because this is their experience. They started the Lord with this experience, some kind of a big spiritual experience and then they hear you're supposed to grow in the Lord. What do you think they think? You know, what would you think? If you started your life with the Lord that way, that was what started it and they say now you need to grow in the Lord. What do you think? What you think is that I need to have another experience and it should be bigger because I'm growing in the Lord and maybe I should have bigger and more frequent experiences. In fact, maybe that's what we should be doing. So it's natural that they're going to start looking for ways that they can have bigger and more frequent experiences and their Christian walk is going to be moving from uh, Christian experience to Christian experience and that's what they're going to do. So, um, that's not a bad thing. And that's not even a wrong thing. And if that's, if that's how you came in the Lord and that's how you see the Lord and that's how you, you, you want to grow in the Lord, it's not like you're wrong. It's just, it's incomplete. In 2 Peter, Peter has, it tells us this. And he's talking now about, the, um, the, he's, he's talking about the, the writings of Paul. He's going to start there, but he's going to segue into a very important verse. He said, bear in mind that just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, you know, he authenticates Paul as, as a messenger of God. And he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in these matters. And his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad Peter thinks so too. Because some of Paul's letters contain some things that are hard for me to understand. I'm always happy to read this verse. Peter had the same feeling. But it came from the Lord. It's wisdom. He says, now some people are taking them. He calls them. They're ignorant. They're unstable people. And they're going to distort what he said. But that shouldn't surprise you. They do it with all the other scriptures too. And so he's talking about false teaching here. And then he says this. Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing that people are going to take scriptures, what Paul wrote in every scripture, and they're going to distort it. He says, you know that. So don't get carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, which is your own salvation. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's warning them, you know, and by the way, this is throughout the entire scriptures. They warn us, Jesus warns us, Paul warns us, Peter warns us. Watch out for false teaching. It is your responsibility to watch out for false teaching. It's not God's responsibility to strike every false teacher dead. That's kind of what we think. Well, you know, their ministry is prospering. God must be okay with it. No, God never promises he's going he's to kill off the false teachers. He will judge them, but he's not killing them off. It is our responsibility to make sure that we are not fooled by the false teaching. And then he says that last part. And he says, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge. And they are not the same thing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ are not the same things. And I believe that actually defines the split that we see when the Holy Spirit gets added to it. And I think there's some people just want to grow in knowledge. And there's some people that just want to grow in grace. And Peter says, we are to grow in knowledge and in grace. If you have them both, you're growing correctly. If you don't, you're really in trouble. And we'll talk about the trouble uh, in, in upcoming weeks. But when we speak of grace, we're usually thinking about salvation, but grace actually covers more than just salvation. Grace is really the presence of God in your life, and the reason why it's grace is because you don't deserve it. Grace is something that's given to you as a gift. You don't deserve God's presence in your life. You know, I don't deserve God's presence in my, in, in my life. I'm evil, right? It's only because of the grace of God that I can't even have him here. And we see that, in the psalmist says, you know, he says, look, blessed are those you choose and bring near to worship you. That's, that's grace, because grace. God gave it to you. You bring us into the courtyards of your holy temple, and there in your house we are filled with all kinds of good things. The whole point of the Christian walk, after all, is to walk in the presence of the Lord. We're supposed to be walking with the Lord. If we don't have God's presence, we've gone astray somewhere because we're supposed to have that. But that's grace. That's a gift. We don't earn it. It's a gift that's given to us. Uh, And while I'm on the subject of his presence... Uh, Let me also talk just a second about promised land. I've made this comment before, but the promised land without the promise is just dirt. The whole point of the promised land is to go to the place God promised and will be with us at, and in your own life too. And the whole purpose of having experience with God is to have him with you. If ever you're trying to get experiences without the presence of God, it doesn't even make sense. Um, in fact, the promised land, I've, I've shared your scripture before, but this is actually kind of funny to me in a way, because God says to Moses, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but he made them an offer where they could just go up and take the promised land and not have to fight for it at all. I, he said, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take care of it all for you. He says, he speaks to Moses, go up from here, you and all the people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt. I promise this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you. I will. He says, you go on up into that land. I promised it. It's right there. Go take it. And he even goes on and says, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the people there. That's a good deal. You don't have to fight for it. I'm going to give you the promised land. And you don't have to fight for it. Just go. Take your people and go. And the angel will drive the people out. Now, those of you who know the story of Josh, the book of Joshua, the Israelites had to fight for the promised land. But before that happened, he offered to give it to them for nothing. He said, go ahead, go up to this, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's it's rich and fertile, it's great. You're gonna love it there. Go ahead, and then he adds this part. But I'm not going with you because you are an obstinate people and I just might destroy you on the way. You are so obstinate and disobedient, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my temper with you and just destroy you all as we walk up there. So you go ahead, I promised it to you, there it is, go have it. I'll send an angel. You won't have to fight. It's what you want anyway. You want to make it easy. You don't want to fight for anything. Fine. You can just go on up there and you can have it. But my presence isn't going with you. And Moses says to the Lord, look, you told me that you know me my name and that I found favor. That's what you've told me. Okay. Well, before then, I, I want to tell you, if I found favor with you, I just want to know your will. This is what, he's he's, he's pre- preceding what he's about to say. By saying, I want you to know, Lord, we have a friendship here. You say we have a friendship. And he does. I mean, God says about Moses, I speak to him as a friend face to face. There's never been another man like Moses, and there never will. He has a friendship with God that none of us can understand. And so he says, I'm going to kind of lean on that friendship a little bit. Because here's what he says next. Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going. The promised land without the promise is dirt. Uh, we get so focused on the land that we want God to take us to that we forget the whole parts, his presence. Presence is grace. It's a gift that's given to him. And Moses says, I know you can do this. I don't want to do it. I'm not going anywhere if your presence doesn't go with us. I, I mean, it's amazing to me because what they end up having to do is fight for it. But Moses says, I'd rather fight for it with you than have you give it to me on a silver platter and leave us. I don't want that at all. I didn't spend 40 years to do that. And so we understand that the presence of the Lord is not a prize to be sought. It's a a promise to be held onto. It's a gift that he gives us. In the old time gospel song, one of my favorite gospel hymns is, when darkness seems to hide his face, I will rest on his unchanging grace. I will not go forward and try to find it on my own. I will learn to wait until God moves forward. When he moves, I move. When he sits, I sit. And I'm not going to move ahead. That's... The, that, that's what God gives us as an illustration. See, remember, he's using the Old Testament to illustrate what our walk's supposed to be like. And I think that we lost sight of that somewhere along the way. So I want to talk about two dangers on focusing on the experience of God at, at, at the, at the uh, expense of you know, growing in grace and not in knowledge. And I'm only going to get to one of them today. You know, for those of you who watch the clock, hallelujah, you'll get, you'll get out of here on time. Because I'm only going to get to half of this today. But the the first one and the one I want to kind of camp on today is it's very easy to become selfish when all you're doing is chasing the next experience. Very quickly, even though you start out holy and righteous and good, I just want more of God in my life. That's all I want. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. You should want more of God in your life. But all of a sudden, you start deciding what that looks like. Well, here's the experience I started with here's the experience I need to move to now because I see other people have had that experience. I want it too. And so we start looking at all the experiences we want to have in our our Christian life. And we kind of check them off a list. And it all becomes about our journey and our experience and it ceases to be about God's presence. It's very, very strange. But we will only seek what we want to experience. Now, if you read the book of Acts, I promise you this isn't what happens with the apostles. The apostles have all kinds of experiences with the Lord, amazing experiences. And they also have all kinds of experiences that lead into those experiences that are horrible. They get beat, they get stoned, they get thrown in prison. And yes, Paul's thrown in prison, and yes, the angel comes and, and the prayer of the Lord makes the whole prison rumble and, and, and fall apart. And, and the, the church of Philippi starts because of that. But before that, he got beat with, with baseball bats and thrown into prison. How about that experience? Is that on your checkbox list? It's not on mine. I'll I'll be honest. I don't have that on my list. You know, Peter has this amazing moment when the the angel comes and leads him out of the prison and makes everybody else go to sleep and just leads them all the way out, like walks straight through a wall. It's an amazing experience. But he was in prison, folks. I mean, he was in prison and he thought he was going to be killed. How would you like to have that on your experience list? Put in prison, wait to die, you know? That because 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 that's what they did. They never were chasing experiences. The disciples never chase an experience. They are there for one reason. They're there to do the will of the Lord. And while they're doing the will of the Lord, all kind of experiences happen. And that's kind of the focus. Um now if you don't want to do that, if you want to say, that sounds really badly planned, Pastor, I, I think we can do a better plan of the Christian life. I want to work from victory to victory. I don't want to have those moments. I don't want to have moments of famine. I want to just have feast to feast. That's what I want. And I, I go out and I look, and there are a lot of preachers out there telling me that I can do that. It's easy to find teaching that says this is possible. You can go from victory to victory. You know, God wants you to succeed. God wants you to prosper. Uh, he loves you, and this is all part of it. And, and you can, you can just, you, just forget this getting thrown in jail stuff. Just get the angel part. You know, we'll we'll teach you how to do that. And so if if you look at the writings of the Bible, it's warning you against this. In fact, Paul says this. He says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. Boy, that's a hard thing to do. And I'm telling you, by the way, he's actually, this is an instruction from Paul to his protege. So he's actually kind of talking to a church founder, Timothy. And I I read this and I go, yeah, I I hear you. I can almost hear what Timothy's saying when he reads that. Because there are sometimes God wants us to... Persist in a message that's absolutely not convenient. I've told this story before, but uh, we were in a really downturn in our, in our membership, our attendance, not membership, but our attendance, and I thought we had like, oh, like nine, 11 people coming on a Sunday morning, and we didn't have a Saturday evening service then. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's low here because we had a really good turnout last night, but we didn't even have it. We had like nine people coming, and uh, I'm thinking, man, what do I need to do in order to grow, you know, the church because it's my responsibility to make sure this church Grows, I thought, and I thought it was my responsibility to make sure that people want to come to it. I need to come up with a new sermon series. It's exciting, and people want. And God says, "Yeah, I want you to preach for three weeks on fasting." Oh, good God, that's good. I have six people left by the time that's done. You know, I can just imagine somebody walking into this building, saying, "I really need from the word for the Lord." Here's the word of the Lord. Stop eating. Uh, he's going to make you fast for everybody. like. I can't imagine that. You know, but you know, sometimes God tests us like that. Are you going to stay? Persistent, whether it's convenient or not, or you're only going to preach what they want to hear. Because that's what Paul's talking about here. He said, correct and encourage with great patience in teaching. For the time will come when they won't even tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves. That's an interesting phrase. They will make more teachers. They will multiply teachers. Not the one God's ordained, is what he's saying. Not the ones I'm putting forth to speak my message. They'll go make their own. They'll multiply teachers to their own desires. And because they have an itch to hear something new, they will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths and fables. Now, I always thought that what Paul is talking about here is the name and claim prosperity preaching. But that's not all he's talking about here. Anytime you are trying to get God to give you a message based on your desire, you're guilty of this. Any time that you have woken up and said, you know what I need? I need a message from God about this. God, give me this message today. And if I go down to Spirit Chapel and that guy's not preaching it, well, I'll go somewhere else where it is. And if I can't find a church around here, I'll go on YouTube and I'll look. And I will find someone to give me the message that I need from the Lord. I will. Instead of allowing God to give you the message that he wants you to hear. We are letting our own desires determine our experiences, and this is when we become selfish, and this is when we're walking away from God. So it doesn't matter what God wants to tell me. Uh-uh. It only matters what I want to hear. I will choose my church service. I'll choose the, what I'm listening to on my radio or television or podcast. I will choose it based on what I want to hear, because I know best what I need from the Lord, and I'm going to go find that message from the Lord. I will find the word from the Lord. Prophecy is never delivered that way. Every time they try to do that, by the way, God files them up. It's a very dangerous thing. Now, we talked um, a few weeks ago when we are in the book of Acts about this guy, and I'm, I'm going to go back to it again today. Some of you, this is rehashed a little bit, but bear with me because I want to I really show you something. So there was this guy who uh, lived in this little village, his name was Simon, and he was a sorcerer, and he had some real power, apparently, and the people were afraid of him. He actually had influence in the city, like the city council would defer to him because he was a powerful man, right? But um, Philip comes into the the village and preaches the gospel. And everybody gets saved, including Simon. And this is in the book of Acts 8, chapter 8. Simon himself believed and he was baptized. Now, I'm going to stop there because I was always told there was only two things you needed for salvation. Confess Jesus with your mouth and be baptized. Although I was Presbyterian, baptism was optional, right? Confess him with your mouth and be baptized. I mean, that's like, classic Christianity. That's what Billy Graham taught that night I heard him. You need to be baptized because he's Southern Baptist, and you need to confess Jesus with your mouth. You need to actually say it. You need to confess it with your mouth to be baptized. That's what I was taught. Now, I want, you to, sh- I want to show you what happens with, with the good old Simon here. He follows Philip everywhere. He's like caught up in this whole gospel message. So he's professed Jesus as Lord with his lips. He's been baptized, and, and he was just astonished by what was going on by signs and miracles, but then Peter and John arrive, and they pray for the new believers so that the Holy Spirit would come to them, and it works. Peter and John placed their hands on people, and the Holy Spirit fell on these people, and Simon's watching. He's like, wow, this is amazing. Now, he then comes, and he tells, he's going to tell Peter, I want to do that. Now, I want to show you, he's not saying, I want to have the ability to have these miracles in my life, He's saying, I want to give this gift to other people. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I want to give that gift to other people. I would love it if the Lord would empower me so you guys can come forward and I could put my hands on you and pray for you and the Holy Spirit would be full in your life. I would love to be able to do that, right? You look at that, that's not a bad thing. He's, He's not actually asking for the power for himself. He wants to give it to others. I want to give it to others. And then he knows how, you know, church works. So he offers the money because, you know, every little missionary needs money. When Simon saw the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, give me this also, this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. I want to give people the Holy Spirit. Now, you think Peter would say, well, how much? What are we talking here? You know, I'm going to start writing a number here and put zeros. You tell me when I can stop kind of thing. You know, I don't know what, what most people would do there, but it seems like a pretty good thing. Yeah, you know what? You know, you're a saved person. You just confessed Jesus. You're baptized. You know, maybe we can work something out here because we've got to leave. We need somebody here who can take over leadership. You're a leader in the area. Maybe we could do something there. Or even if he's off base, you know, people say, "Eh, you know, you have to go through our discipleship program first. You know, then we can get you here. But instead, Peter says, you and your money can go straight to hell. Basically, is what he says. You and your money can go straight to hell. You think you could buy the Holy Spirit? Mm Mm-mm. doesn't work that way. Now understand that what he's asking for here is he's asking to be an apostle. He doesn't understand that, but that's what he's asking for. He's asking to be an apostle. And Peter says, yeah, you can't buy apostleship. But isn't he just asking for a, an experience, an experience that, that, that he's just not ready for yet? Don't we do the same thing? Have you asked God for an experience you weren't ready for yet? I want to speak in tongues. I want to have the prophetic word in my life. I want to lay hands on people and see them healed. I want to cast out demons. Have you ever asked God for any of these kind of things after you read the book of Acts? Isn't he just asking for an experience that he's not ready for yet? It seems to me like what should be done there is we teach him that he needs to grow up first. Instead, Peter doesn't have any parts of it. In fact, he says this, repent. You have no part or share in this ministry. What he's saying to him is, there's no part of God in you, and there's no part of you in God. As I said the first time I drew this, if you drew, preach this, if you draw a Venn diagram, there's two circles, there's no intersection. It's completely separate. He's saying he's not even saved. That's what he's saying. That's a scary verse because he confessed him with his mouth. But James says so does the devil. So what? He was baptized, so he got wet. What difference does that make? Where's his heart? And Peter looks at his heart with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, For having such a thought in your heart, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I know why you want this. You want this because you're bitter. You're bitter at God. You're holding a grudge against God. And you think this will make you important in other people's eyes. This has nothing to do. You want this experience for your own selfish purposes. You can go straight to hell. That's basically what Peter says. See, the thing is, the the prayer should sound like this. Lord, what do you want to tell me? That's the prayer of a righteous servant. You want to know what the other prayer sounds like? God, speak to me now about what I'm asking you to speak to me about. And that is the prayer of a bitter unbeliever. There's a difference. We see this in scripture. We see Samuel pray the right prayer. God comes and says, Samuel. And what does Samuel say? Speak, for your servant is listening. Whatever you have to say to me, God, I am listening. You tell me. Whatever it is, I am here. But we see the other side of it up in Matthew. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus. And he's, he's teaching and he, he has an uh, authority and a knowledge about the scriptures that nobody ever has. They, they should really be sitting at his feet to learn. Instead, they say, show us a sign and wonder. Show us a miracle. Then we'll know you're from God. Give us a miracle. We want to see a miracle right now. And Jesus says, an evil and an unfaithful people look for a sign. That's what he says. How many of you have said that to God? If you do this, then I'll know you're real. If you do this, then I will tell other people about it. If you do this, then I will follow you. But I need to see you do this first. And Jesus says, yep, that tells me that you're unfaithful and evil. Because you want God for what he can do for you. You're selfish. You're Simon the sorcerer. He said, no sign will be given to them, no sign at all, except the sign of Jonah, which is when he gets crucified and risen again. But here's the thing. Now, Victoria asked me last night, wait a minute, are you trying to say that after the sermon, because I always get, you know, my little critique on the way home, um, thank God we don't live too far away, so the critique's short, Uh, but so we're driving home, and she says, I have a question about the sermon. I go, okay, hit me, and she says, are you saying it's not all right that we pray to God for answers to questions that we have? Absolutely, that's fine but you may not replace the most important prayer, which is, Lord, your servant is listening, speak to me. That's the most important prayer you can pray. If you're not praying that prayer, then the other prayers prayed in vain. Uh, I've had a couple of times in my life uh, where I believe God's literally, sp- well, what I call speaking to me. It wasn't an audible voice for me, but like a couple times where he's like popped into my head and I knew that it was not my thought, right? Um, I've talked about that before. But two of them happened around the time. One happened shortly before we opened Spirit Chapel. Um, but it wasn't go open Spirit Chapel, by the way. That wasn't what he said. What he said was really weird. Um, it had nothing to do with Spirit Chapel, it had nothing to do with any of my questions. He just simply said, I need you to do what I told you to do. Go back and do it. And, and I did. And it didn't seem to matter, right? But God thought it mattered enough to pop in and say, I need you to go back and be obedient to what I gave you. Go do that. So, okay. I guess. I did it. And like, okay, I did it. You know, what what changed? Nothing. But if God can't trust me to deliver a message, a very small, simple message, how's he going to trust me with this pulpit to deliver his message? See, sometimes God's testing our faithfulness. Can I trust you to to, to say something that doesn't seem to be mattering to you, but it matters to me? Can I trust you to do that? Because if I can't trust you, I'll find someone else for Spirit Chapel. I, I need to know I can trust you. The other time he popped in, I was in the middle of grief and, and, and I had a lot of problems going on in a very specific area of my life and I was here and I was, I was actually crying and calling out to the Lord and he popped in and corrected my theology about something completely different. Like, it was cool that God popped in. It was cool that he corrected my theology but I had this list of questions he didn't even bother answer. That's not atypical by the way. Read the book of Job. You know, the whole book of Job is like 40 chapters of Job complaining and telling everything is wrong in his life. And and look, Job has reason. You know, things are bad in his life. And God finally shows up. He doesn't answer anything he said. Not one question. But he sets the record straight. So the thing is that God knows things that we don't know. He sees things that we don't see. And he has things to tell us that we don't want to hear. And we won't get it because we are way too busy chasing around looking for answers to our questions, and we forget that God tells us to be still and wait. But we're chasing. We're chasing the answer I want, and God says, no, you'll be still. This is all through the Bible, by the way. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I cannot tell you how many scriptures say, wait upon the Lord. I can't even tell you, but uh, I ran into every one of them before we start Spirit Chapel, because I wanted to move on and do something. I didn't know what God wanted, and every time I go in my devotional, he'd leave me in the scripture to a verse that said, wait upon the Lord. I'll never forget it. But This went on for, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks, and one day I'm walking back in, because I used to always do my devotion on the back, back uh, porch, and I'm coming in, and Victoria said, did you hear anything from the Lord? I said, yes. Oh, good, what do he say? He said, wait. And he said, did you tell him we're tired of waiting? I said, yeah, he doesn't seem to be interested. Right, right? Wait upon the Lord. We, but we don't want to wait upon the Lord. We want to chase after what we want God to give us because we need to grow our resume. That's important for us, right? And here's a weird thing. We wouldn't do that in any other relationship. I was thinking, uh, you know, think back, those of you who've been married for some time. If you're not yet married, imagine what it would be like. And if you're recently married, this is right, where, right up your alley. Uh, but I was thinking, would anybody do this the first day of their marriage, you know, they, they just got married, uh, they're, they're, they just wake up, they're having breakfast for the first time together, and the husband says, you know, I just want to spend my life getting to know you better. You know, wife's like, oh, that's great. You know, that sounds like a cheesy thing you'd say the first, year of ma- the first day of marriage, right? I just want, I really want to spend the rest of my life getting to know you better. That's really wonderful. I want to spend time getting to know you better too. That's, that's what I want out of my life. Good, because I've made a list of all your qualities that I love. Okay, getting a little weird, but okay you know? And I've ranked them. Now we're weird. And I've come up with the top three and I want to share them with you. Number one, I love the way you cook. I mean, you know, this breakfast, the the times we have dinner together, you are really a great cook, honey. Oh, great. Glad you like that. So what I like is more of this. In fact, I'm thinking three meals a day and I know you could do better. I know we could have gourmet meals three times a day. I just know we could. And I think all you're lacking is, is, is the ingredients. So I'm going to give you money to buy the ingredients so you can kind of up the game here. And we could have gourmet meals three times a day instead of, you know, just skipping lunch and having oatmeal for breakfast. I think we can really stretch this out. I want to experience that with you. I want to experience a greater meal with you. And I know you can do it. I know you can. Because uh, I've seen you do it. I, I know you can. Just up your game a little bit. And then he moves on to number two. Something else that I really love, that I really admire the things that you've done, is that, remember that couple times I've had this really like bad tension headache, and I kinda like, like, we're watching TV and I lay down and I put my head in your lap and you, you massage my temples and stuff, and that headache has gone away. She goes, yeah? He goes, well, I think that's great, but I was thinking if that's good, full body massage should be even better, you know? So what I like to do is every day you know we can get a table i'll pay for it i'll pay for all this and 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 you can give me a full body massage because that would be better for me that's something else that i would like to experience with you and then one other thing i want to mention here is our romantic time together has been really really great but i think we can up that too so we'll give you a budget maybe get some candles some new lingerie and things and we can up this a little bit because i want to experience that better with you too i want to experience life with you better Will we do that Women, would you be there by the time the third demand came? You know, it's like, where do I go to get an annulment? What's going on here, right? Because he was like, this isn't how relationships work, is it? But it is with God. We tell him what we want to see, and we tell him what our relationship will look like when we have a deeper relationship with him. I need these experiences. Listen, a lot of people run around talking about these great experiences, but if you listen carefully, you find out that they're going through life, collecting spiritual experiences. And we think they're these committed Christians, but they're not, they're neither committed nor Christians, they're spiritual tourists. He will never know who God is. They're running around taking selfies. Have you ever seen that by the way? This was, was a great picture. There was this like whale, these people were like on a ship, like they're all like the foot of, you know, the hands against the, the, the rail. And this, this, this whale's coming up out of the water, you know, cresting and coming back into the water. And this whole line of people are lined up there. And everybody except one person has their cell phone out. They're taking pictures. Some people are, you know, hey, you know, like this whole thing. And can you imagine they're taking a picture? And what they saw of that whale is going to be the same thing as the people who see that picture because they weren't even looking. There's this one woman. She's about 87 years old. And she's got a purse and gloves. And she's holding on that rail. And she's got this look on her face like, wow. And she's experiencing it. People are running around like spiritual tourists. And they they go here. I saw this. I saw this great thing. I go there and I oh I heard this great sermon. and I went there and I saw all these people get saved. And they're running around as tourists taking selfies in front of them. But they're not experiencing God at all. We are supposed to experience God. And in order to grow in knowledge and in grace, we're gonna have to wait on the Lord and we're gonna have to listen to what He has to say to us. We will have experiences, some of them you won't like. But you'll look back later and say, those were the ones that changed me. Those are the ones that made me who I am today. Those are the one that gave me the faith that I need to get through the fire. Those are the experiences. Nobody gets stronger by sitting home and sleeping and taking naps. So let me give you one more scripture here, and then we'll, we'll close with this. In Isaiah, Isaiah kind of nails these people. You have trusted in your wickedness, and you have said, no one sees me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. You have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. This is me. I can just go ahead and do what I want. All that matters in my Christian walk is my personal walk. No, sir. Because according to Jesus Christ, he was here to do the will of the Father, and then he handed that off to us. It's our job to do God's will. And while we're doing that, we will experience God. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us a new vision of you and what you have planned for us.